My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Donna Peters, the author of the number one international bestseller, Options Are Power, Career Strategies for High Performers Who Want a Life. She is the host of the Me Sweet podcast. Uh, that's M-E-Sweet, S-W-I-T-E. It was the 2021 finalist for both Best Business Podcast and People's Choice Award. Donna is a certified executive coach, speaker, and leadership faculty with 20 plus years advising senior executives and next generation leaders at the world's most admired companies. Donna acted professionally on stage, film, and stand-up for 10 years before pursuing an MBA at Cornell University. She became a senior partner and practice leader in management consulting. She helps driven professionals take control of the future they want to have. And Donna, I just want to say thank you so much for, for agreeing to this interview. And uh, I'm just grateful that you um, we're willing to come on and talk about your book and talk about your experiences. It's uh, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you for having me, Dave. I think we have a little bit of a kindred spirit here. So I'm really looking forward to the dialogue. You know, from listening to other episodes that I, I always like to start with kind of laying the, the groundwork for where you're at right now, what kind of led you to this, uh, this pursuit. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't start at any better place than the beginning. So um, where, where were you born and raised and what was your life like growing up? Yeah, I love that you start with this question, Dave, because I, I had a chance to, uh, to work with Dr. Marjorie Blum, who is a, a psychologist and she coaches business professionals. And she, she taught me the incredible power of what she calls family inheritances. And basically the fact that there is nothing that our leadership style has not been impacted by given our family experiences and how we grew up. And so I, I love you making me reflect on that. Uh, so I, am, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama and my broader family still lives there. I grew up in a family business. My father owned a business that manufactured medical examination tables. <laughs> so how specific is that? Yeah. Uh, but basically at his core, he was a woodworker. And so uh, I have multiple pieces of furniture in my home that my father handcrafted with his own hands. I even have one piece of furniture in my home where he used the lumber from a tree that he had chopped down and then planed the lumber and turned it, turned it into a piece of furniture for me. Um, but I grew up in that family business. So in the summers, I was using drill presses to drill holes into table legs, 
I was using staple guns to put the fake leather on the top of the tables. I wrote shipping labels when I was four or five years old, you know, before you could print them off of a computer. Um, and I think that was extremely formative for me, just uh, being around my parents who owned a business and the way they talked about money, the way they talked about customers, the way uh, I even saw my father teach a 19 year old man how to read a calendar. He was a high school dropout who had come to work in my father's factory and he had never been taught how to read a calendar. And he had to be taught that to learn how to ship on time. Uh, and all, all of these experiences, when I reflect on them, I can only imagine how much they impacted me, for, maybe for better or worse. It depends on what the experience was. Uh, but I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for what my parents had put together uh, in the living that that helped you know, provide me as a child. And I think it was very formative in my leadership style. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have one younger brother. And so, of course, we, we have memories of each other working on the factory floor, sweeping, for example. We would have broom fights. Uh, it was freezing in this factory in the wintertime, and there was this enormous potbelly stove that would burn wood for heat. And when we were too little to be allowed to use power tools uh, in the factory, we would just go over to the potbelly stove and spit on it and watch the spit evaporate, you know, with, with the heat in the winter, you know, just kids being kids. Uh, but, but I do, my, my family is very, very close. I'm very close with my brother even to this day, and I'm very fortunate for that. How did you end up in, in acting and comedy <laughs> and film and all that? How, how did that happen? I am so sorry to say that the answer is maybe I have no idea, but in high school, I was not an athletic person, but I, I did excel in more the arts side of things. So I was active in, in the choir and I uh, would try out for plays and that was more my extracurricular just as a regular high school kid. And then I started to get really into theater when I went to college. And again, it was an area where I excelled, just like everyone else is going to find another area where they tend to shine that tended to be my area to shine. And when I was graduating from college, I thought I was going to go to law school and be some form of a defense attorney. I, I, I could see myself in a courtroom doing something like that. But I had a, a professor who came up to me at my graduation party and said, uh, Donna, if there's a nag in the back of your brain telling you to continue to pursue your theater, please continue to pursue your theater. And that one professor at that one moment in time changed everything about the trajectory of the rest of my career. I had a deposit into law school that I walked away from. I did not go to law school at that moment. And I, I went straight and pursued my theater career. I was fortunate that my parents uh, were supportive of it. They didn't give me financial support, but they gave me emotional support to pursue the wacky path. And because I, I think my father probably thought of himself as having pursued a wacky path, having been, uh, he did not at that time have a college degree. He uh, had, you know, started his own business, woodworking, et cetera. So I think that he probably saw himself in me in a little bit and, and so supported my wacky path. Uh, and so I, I, I would never have told you that that's what I was going to do, but I had these really pivotal moments that matter where people stepped into my life and gave me some confidence to go do something that might not have been a traditional path to go. 
I love that you just said that because I think a lot of times people dismiss the influence mm-hmm. that they can have on who yeah yeah and and that like just a, a a moment in time some support that you can give to somebody that yeah really gives them that needed nudge to, yeah. to pursue something great something yeah. that maybe they didn't have confidence in doing before right right so i just think that's awesome yeah um, thank you well, can I, I'm just really curious about this this <laughs> career and and acting. Can you can you talk a little bit about it? Well, first, where did you go to college at? Yeah, so I went to a small liberal arts college in North Carolina called Davidson College. When I went there, a lot of people would have never heard of it. It's a very very respectable school, and it was fabulous. I was extremely fortunate to even get into the school. Uh, just academically, uh, but people know Davidson College now today because it's where Steph Curry went to undergrad. It's Steph Curry's school, so now more people know what Davidson is because of the amazing Steph Curry. Um, and I'm still very active on the campus there. I have a lot of I, I put a lot of my heart and soul into that Davidson community. I'm I'm a very active alum there, uh, so I went to college there. And then when I uh, graduated and uh, made the decision to pivot to theater versus uh, versus law school, I, I did a master's of fine arts at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, which is a three year degree, three years of pursuing the craft of acting and uh and and at that time had a chance to perform professionally with the playmakers repertory theater and then that launched you know everything from there uh and it, it's a hard it, it's an amazing uh skill set to build and i have found it over my the course of my everything i've done in my career to be probably the most common denominator of most relevant skills i've ever learned I learned in the theater, you obviously you're learning communication skills, you're learning to be comfortable in front of people if you're having to give presentations or pitches, etc. At the same time, the skills that you learn in the theater are also things around uh, giving and receiving feedback. It takes a very tough skin to be in the theater community because you're auditioning all the time and hearing no way more than you'll ever hear yes. Uh, So you learn a lot about the giving and receiving of feedback. And just like anybody that's very active in sports, or maybe you, Dave, with your your teaming experience working in in the fire department in such a high-risk environment, the teaming experience in theater is like nothing you've ever experienced. What what the teamwork required to pull a stage performance together and have that trust and reliance on another person – only the other person can say the other person's lines. I can't say your lines for you. You're another character altogether. I can't be your character. It's not like I can go pick up your slack, right? So the, the ability, that teaming experience, uh, the communications experience, just the whole, you're building confidence and comfort in your skin. If there is anyone listening here themselves or has a child that is interested in theater, please support them. It doesn't mean they have to go be a starving artist the rest of their lives, but just the fundamental skills and experiences that it builds, I believe go in the category of life skills. So I, I do try to, to, uh, to nurture that in young people and, uh, and, and encourage it. Again, another <laughs> thing that, so my, I, my daughter, she's 15 now, but ah. there was, um, 
and I don't know if the I'm I'm sure it's probably an international program, but mm -hmm. um, Disney Kids, there's like they they put on uh, shorter versions of um, Disney classics, but yeah, and yeah. So when my daughter was in elementary school, she tried out for the Jungle Book and for um, the Lion King. Oh yeah, and she actually landed a role in in the jungle book as mm -hmm. uh can't remember the name of the snake but that was funny and then the next year she was uh uh timon in in the lion king which is that's amazing a big role and good for her she did amazing like i the the very first night uh the opening night mm -hmm. when she started singing. I was like, holy crap, she can sing too. <laughs> <laughs> Are um, you my kid? <laughs> but it was, it was great. Uh, like I, I can resonate with that. Cause I, I've never, uh, I've never acted. I've, I've never done anything yeah. like that. Uh, so seeing her do that and, and mm -hmm. seeing the confidence that she developed just through that experience yeah. was incredible. So I, um, yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board with that idea. Like, this, yeah, I yeah. never really thought of it that way. Yeah. Well, tell her congratulations. That was an enormous win, but, but in whether she does that ever again, it won't matter. She's gone out there and gotten that experience and you know, really pushed herself to the limits, uh, limits of her fears. Uh, the amazing preparation that goes into learning your lines, the amazing intensity and focus of attention that it takes to be backstage and, and keep your attention to enter at the right time and be on cue. All of those are life skills that I just love seeing uh, supported and nurtured in young people. And they'll serve you the rest of your life, whether you do it for a living or not. I'm guessing that your, your acting <laughs> career kind of led into stand-up. Or was it? Yeah, it was. In? It was. It was part of it. I. I think if if you're trying to make a living in the theater, you do a little bit of everything. So uh, I mainly was getting paychecks from what's called industrials. So if you've ever flown on an airplane and the video gets shown that says "Put the mask on yourself before you put the mask on others and fasten your seatbelt." that video is called an industrial and there are actors in those videos. And so that's a mainstream way for a lot of professional actors to make a living. You do basically training videos for corporations. Um, I did have a chance to do a George Lucas movie and work with George Lucas for a couple of months. It's called Radio Land Murders. I'm, I'm sorry, George, it's not your best work, no offense, uh, but it was an amazing experience and, um, and then mostly did stage. Stage was more my, my thing, uh, but I, I loved it. I uh, was fortunate to have a chance to, to have it be a living for a very long time. And then I decided, and again, I wish I had this perfect planful answer, but I don't. But I did decide that I wanted to be in business. And maybe that was because of the way I grew up in my family business. I knew I had business sensibilities. I also knew that being a professional actor for so long, I basically was running my own business. That, that's entrepreneurism. When you're an actor, you're an entrepreneur, right? You're, you're, you're out there running your own business. But I, I wanted to take it to a different scale, and, and I, I made a decision to go to business school 
to basically hit a reset button to use those new earned skills to get more properly into business. And then once I did, I started to realize how relevant and differentiating my theater skills had been. And so I, I tried as much as I could, although I did not get this right many, many times. I tried to live at the intersection of my MFA and my MBA in my business career, because more and more I started to realize how important the executive presence, the ability to storytell, the ability to basically improv and be comfortable in uncertain situations. Uh, more and more that became a differentiating skill for me that I never would have appreciated years back, you know, when I was in a Shakespeare play. So was there any defining mm -hmm. moment that you said, all right, I'm, I'm going to go to Cornell and I'm going to make something. Yeah. I think it was, if I had become Meryl Streep and had been, you know, getting major parts in movies, maybe I would have felt very, very differently. But I was able to make a living in the theater. And if you think of any theater, uh, any actor that you know, they tend to do the same thing over and over. And I had played the same role in the same play for different theaters three times in a row. And while that allowed me to make a living doing it, it wasn't terribly exciting the third time. And it gets a little boring, just like anybody changes jobs. You know, lots of people change jobs, lots of people change industries, lots of people make a shift. And I did no different. My shift just seemed more, uh, pun intended, <laughs> dramatic. My, my shift from theater to business may have seemed a little more incongruous to a lot of people, but in my mind, it made complete total sense. It, to me, was the most logical next best step because I'd gotten a little bored and I, uh, and I, and I also knew that I was a savvy business person. And, but I also believed no company was going to go hire me and give me the responsibilities I thought I could take on without more credibility in the business sense, because my resume just looked like a bunch of theater work. So rightly or wrongly, I chose I, to have an MBA on my resume as a reset button. And a lot of people use MBAs in that way. Uh, and then I uh, just happened to have the uh, the privilege of getting into an institution like Cornell, and I wanted to be in the Northeast, I think, maybe having grown up in the South, I wanted a different regional experience. And, and again, it changed everything. I mean, just being able to say I'm part of an alumni community uh, like Cornell is uh, just an amazing privilege. Let's talk a little bit about where you're at right now, career-wise, mm -hmm. and maybe what led you to write your book and yeah. led you to doing your podcast? Yeah. So I ended up being in consulting, strategy consulting for 20 years after business school. So once I left my MBA, uh, my resume is a real clear, simple, logical straight line. <laughs> it's just a, okay, I get it. She left MBA, she went into consulting and she stayed there for a very long time. <laughs> so that's where my story gets really simple. Um, I, I uh, had an opportunity to retire um, after that 20 years in strategy consulting. I retired from there in January of 2020. And building up to retirement, I knew that I wasn't going to quit working. I, I jokingly called it retire as in get new tires. And I really wanted to be living more properly at the intersection of my MFA skills and my MBA skills 
And that's what sparked the idea of the podcast because I could get back into producing and writing, performing in quotation marks. And I would orient that podcasting work around my executive coaching practice. Yet again, I had a mentor tap me on the shoulder and say, Donna, I know you're good at mergers and acquisitions. I know you're good at these back office transformations, but what you're really differentiated in is giving fair, balanced advice to people about their career trajectories. And that sparked me to want to go back to school and do a certification in executive coaching. And that's now my post-retirement, in quotation marks, uh, career is uh, using my business platform and experience to help people in their career decisions and then the podcast just became a forum that I had experience in and was comfortable in that allowed me to put those, um, to use that forum and, and just as you're doing, right? You're, you're providing it out into the universe as a for free, <laughs> a, a for free resource for people uh, as an opportunity to give back. So I've been now at that two full years. The book, Options Are Power, I had a mentor named Bob Easton. He still is a mentor. Bob Easton used to have this phrase that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> and, and I really felt that way with the book. I have been working on chapters of this book for over 10 years. The concept of writing a book itself was not a new concept. I just kind of hadn't gotten around to doing it or hadn't put full energy behind it. The fact that I was able to pull it together in this pandemic period where we're all picking up picking up the news and reading great resignation, great reassessment, great reflection. And we're all trying to decide what's the role that we want work to play in our lives. I, 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 sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And I'm launching a career strategies book at a time when we need it more than ever. That was pure moon and stars aligning in the universe for me. I, I've been thinking about it for a long time. I have been writing in my journal about it for a long time. I now have this certification in neuroscience to back it up with more data. And then, you know, lo and behold, the pandemic happened. So if, if I can help people through this uh, during this pandemic period, th that, that's even all the more amazing. But the book had been in the works for a very long time. I just finally got around to doing it. You walk us through the mm -hmm. the key uh points in your book and, yeah and maybe like I, i'm really curious about the the strategy uh -huh. part um, yeah so if we could talk a little bit about that that'd be great yeah wonderful well, thank you for asking as i have a lot of passion around it please interrupt me if you want me to go in different directions i'm going to be watching for your 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 physical cues if you want me to take this in a different direction okay. so the title is called options or power and the reason is because in neuroscience, we know that when we feel trapped and when we're not in control, the brain takes us into a very negative place. The basal ganglia part of our brain is the part of the brain that's more autopilot. That's the part of our brain where we turn right at that stop sign on the way to the gym and we don't even remember doing it because we've done it so many times. The amygdala part of the brain is the part of the brain that we would more know as fight or flight when, when we get under a stressed environment and the brain uh, goes into a very uh, negative place, a dangerous place, because it's trying to signal us that something is wrong. 
when we don't have options, we feel trapped, we feel not in control. And the amygdala part of the brain is what some neuroscientists call hijacked, amygdala hijacked. So my premise here is based in neuroscience. If we know in our careers that we have options to make a move, to make a change, to pivot to something different, whether it's inside our current company or external, if we know that we have options, we're in control, we're in the driver's seat to choose at that moment what we need to do to make work work for us at that moment in time. And sometimes that might mean taking an LOA, a leave of absence. Sometimes it might mean going part-time. Sometimes it might mean going back to school, but it can mean asking for something different where you currently are or going to a different company altogether. But at the end of the day, options give you the right, not the obligation to make a change. And that's where the power comes from because you're in control of the decision. What I find with career-driven people, if we aren't building and surrounding ourselves with options, you feel trapped and you're not, you feel like you're not in control. And that is a very, very negative place to go. We even know that that caused physiological changes in the body in, in terms of release of uh, stress hormones. It can sometimes lead to weight gain, type two diabetes, et cetera. So there's all kinds of mental and physical reasons why we need options. The book lays out strategies for surrounding yourself with options. And, and there's a different chapter on each of these approaches. One of them is around uh, identifying your personal core values. So you're always making decisions filtered through those core values and staying true to who you are. The second one is your personal branding, getting really insightful and honest about what people think and feel when they hear your name. Your personal brand is what people think and feel when they hear your name. And we often don't do enough self-reflection on what that is to understand, well, who are we and how are we perceived and how do we want to signal that to, uh, to the market? The third area is networking and really getting strategic about your networks and putting your network to work for you. These might be personal relationships. They could be professional relationships. They could be alumni communities of people that you've never even met before, but they would be very warm if they heard from you. Uh, another area is around skills and strengths and getting very creative about thinking broadly of your skills and strengths. You, Dave, are, a, were, a, are or were a firefighter and you absolutely have firefighting skills, but there are a lot of skills that you built in that career that are very translatable and fungible to all types of companies and jobs and roles that have nothing to do with fighting fires. Right. And so if we get really uh, strategic about our skills and strengths, it really helps us open ourselves up. I'm not just a CPA. I don't have to just do tax filings for the rest of my life. And then the, another category that I think really pulls it all together is storytelling and getting really crisp and confident on why this next best move, why me, why now? And if we are constantly fresh on that story, whether we choose to stay where we are or we choose to make a move, you are constantly seeing options and possibilities. And so you feel you're in control because you're not trapped and you can make a change if and when you want to make a change. And that's really the core of all of it. And that's why the whole theme is options are power surround yourself with options. I don't believe there's any more, uh, any more freeing, powerful emotion 
than to feel that you have options and that you're not trapped. And I wish that for any career professional. We are awake more hours working or doing something related to work than we are awake not working. For anybody who works full time, that is true. Do the math. Right. <laughs> so I'm hoping that options or power will help people put work to work for them. That, that's really at the core. As you were talking, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm going through like <laughs> you, you touched on so many parts of my book. Great. Like a different, um, I, I guess, different semantics and maybe yeah, uh, uh, just a different perspective. Yeah, where you know what you were talking about, I, I talk, uh, with regard to the amygdala, yeah, um, and you know the fight or flight, you know, in writing my book and and coming from my experiences and like with uh, people that have spent enough time in public safety. Mm. especially in, in busier metropolitan areas are exposed okay. to uh, the worst of humanity. Mm. You know, you, you yeah. see things that, uh, you know, what, what other people are capable of doing to oh. other people and yeah. uh, really how broken mm. a body can become. Wow. And, and so what you end up with is, you know, a lot of professional firefighters, law enforcement that, that are struggling with PTSD. Okay. Which is uh, a heightened state of awareness. Um, you end up in that fight or flight mode. Yeah. Uh, your body's releasing those stress hormones mm-hmm. more frequently for less reason. And it, it can be difficult to mm. make sound decisions you yeah. know like yeah and and that feeling of loss of control yes it is really i think plays a big part in uh, ptsd yes so when when you are struggling with PTSD and you're in a culture that uh, stigmatizes, like, you know, you're not going to come forward mm-hmm. unless you're like really, really in dire straits. Yeah. When, if you address it early on, it probably be less impact, less impactful. Well, when I talk about my experiences in the book, I talk about these moments where my judgment my decision making skills were uh, not the best and uh-huh. I, I learned some valuable lessons yeah but when when you have this idea that if you can set yourself up and have a mindset that this is my ultimate end goal my end state and work mm-hmm. back from there and you'll see that there are so many different paths to get to there. Uh-huh. It's not just the one that you're on. Yeah. And realizing that there are choices. Yeah. So we kind of come at it from different angles. Uh-huh. But ultimately we're saying pretty much the same thing. And 
and having that awareness that it's not just one path and right. the 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 occupation or the career that you're in right now is not right. your identity aha uh -huh. yeah you know that yes and, and yes realizing and defining who you are at a core yeah. level yeah. is so important to that that sense of control where mm. yeah maybe some some event or uh the the economics or whatever can can cause you to take a different path it may seem like you're not in control but you have that power within you to take control of that situation yes and say okay well yeah i i'm no longer able to follow this path i'll, I'll take this path and, yeah and yeah. and that path doesn't have to be forever right right yeah and i think that's another thing that we can learn too is you may make a choice right now and decide in 18 months it wasn't the right one okay change again yeah 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 i i it's so reassuring to to talk with people that have come to the same or similar conclusions mm -hmm. you know where mm -hmm. i've i've put a lot of time and effort in my research and like i studied a lot of philosophy yes. and so it's it's really i mean it, it's wisdom that has existed for yeah. millennia you know and, yeah uh the fact that you can that we can now root it in science it's right. not just you know some guy from you know ancient the woo woo yeah. yeah yeah what i i love what you said too about the, the book that you, that you have in development you you said my stories when you tell my stories, I think that's why there's room for all of us here because we all have a unique story to tell yeah. and your story is going to land with certain people in a very special way and another person's story will land in another way. And I think that that's where the magic is here is our ability to find a forum to tell our unique stories. And that's how you and I are using our podcast, right? To, to, in a guest format because everybody has a unique story to tell. Uh, but th that's why that that's why I think we need to be doing this. And there's room for all of us uh, to hear the different stories that there's no one unique path, but we all have some experiences that we can share that probably help a lot of people. So I, I feel like maybe your book will fill in a lot of gaps that are left in my book. Okay. I, I really feel yeah. like that may be the case and ah. maybe a little more thorough than mine, because I, I think where I kind of leave out a lot of the science. Mm -hmm. I talk about it a little bit, but it's in yeah. terms of uh, PTSD. Yeah, okay. Um, and and so you don't necessarily have to be suffering with some uh, psychological yeah. disorder <laughs> to to come to that point in your life where mm -hmm. you you don't feel like you have control of your path. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the reality I, is it's, it's mindset. Yeah, it is mindset. I'm going to call us then Dave, not, not that mine fills gaps, but you, yours and mine will be a yes. And how about that? All right, cool. <laughs> it's a mindset. <laughs> <laughs>
it's a yes and yeah yeah I, I i do i do see what you mean i i wasn't coming at this from a psychological trauma uh, however, I was coming at some of my evolution from physical needs um, through that corporate career that I had had and you know, living on the road for many, many years and decisions that I had made about prioritizing work over family and sort that sort of thing. Uh, I you know, found myself pre-diabetic and I had a choice to make. Not everybody can control diabetes with diet. I want to be completely clear about that, uh, but mine could be. And so, okay, get out there, control the controllables. Uh, so one of the components and options or power is being very uh, focused on what parts of your health can you control and control those controllables. And then the other component of it is being very knowledgeable and transparent about finances. It doesn't mean go make as much money as you possibly can and just you know, sell yourself to the devil, but it does mean be really smart about the money decisions that you are making. Uh, even something as simple as home ownership versus renting. I am completely shocked at how we have allowed an entire nation of people to grow up believing that the end game should be owning a home. There are so many expenses and costs that come with total cost of ownership of a home. There are for many of us where renting does make wonderful, valid sense. And, and should not be a sign of I'm not successful because I rent and I don't own. Uh, I, I think there's so, there's so many, uh, I guess that's probably an orthodoxy. I think we have an orthodoxy that, that owning is better than renting and that is not true in all cases. Yeah. So, so that, that's another, another dimension of options or power is just being um, as knowledgeable as you can about the financial decisions that we make. It's funny that you should bring that up because mm -hmm. um, Several years ago, I, I don't remember what what book it was, but it mm -hmm. was uh, parts of this book were talking about that mindset mm -hmm. of you know owner uh, home ownership is better than renting. But if you do the math, mm -hmm. it's a, a lot better financially if you like to move, if you're mm -hmm. not planning on staying in one spot for 30 years or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Renting is probably more financially savvy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I like that. Now maybe you can buy some properties and use them as income to, to grow your wealth by renting them, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But, but yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I think that might've been Schiller. Uh, there, there's a financial analyst, uh, if you're famous in his field, uh, last name is Schiller. And he has a thing called the Schiller index where he did that calculation over the last 20, 30 years to calculate how the real estate market was tracking against uh, the performance of the stock market, for example. And I think the, I think it was a 20 year index and it was tracking at about a 3% return, which was below the stock market. So I'm not a financial planner. I just want to be completely clear about that. My whole point here is be knowledgeable about the financial decisions that you're making and get the external expert advice if you don't have the knowledge yourself. So I don't want to get hate mail about financial planning <laughs> from, your, from your podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> caveat, caveat. Uh, so... I'd like to get a little more 
uh, information on mm -hmm. the the strategy mm -hmm. portion. Like yeah. you said that you did twenty years consulting and yeah. and really focused on uh, career strategies. Mm -hmm. So, so can we talk about that mindset and maybe that philosophy behind mm -hmm. having a strategy? Yeah. So some people call this strategic planning. Some people call it life planning. Some people call it visioning. There's lots of different words that I hear for people when they talk about how they want to chart a path for where they're going in the next three, five, 10, 15 years. And regardless of the time frame you want to be using or the words that you want to be using, the point is be intentional and be clear and honest with yourself about what you're really seeking. And let me give you some examples. I have some clients who will come to me and say, I know that I want to progress to be in the C-suite of a company, meaning C like chief, chief financial officer, chief marketing officer, et cetera. I, I just know that I want to work towards those promotions to be C-suite in a company. And then there are other people who say, well, I don't care about the title, but I need to be making this amount of money for my financial plan to retire at 55 or 60 or whatever goal they've given themselves. And sometimes those sound like a great initial plan, but when they start to be tested, they kind of fall apart if the person hasn't done a lot of self-reflection. For example, when I have people with multiple job offers, and they tell me, Donna, it's not about the money. I really want to go for the title right now. The moment a higher paying offer comes across, it sometimes becomes all about the money and not about the title. This isn't wrong. It's not bad. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just holding up a mirror to say you're not being completely true to yourself about what has primacy for you right now. What has primacy for you right now? Is it your career? Is it your finances? Is it your family? Is it your personal growth? Is it your health? What is it? And be really, really honest with yourself, because if you're not, then it's really hard to have a strategy. Having a strategy really at its core, having a strategy means knowing what to say no to. And I like to put that lens on our career decisions because that, that's mainly where I coach is around career coaching, you know, recognizing that we're working more awake hours than not. <laughs> so get really, really clear on what you really want and what really has primacy for you at this moment in your life, because then you know what to say no to. And whether this will change, so for some people, your primacy may change in six, 12 months. For some people, primacy may not change for three or five months. But you can imagine really monumental moments in lives will change your primacy. Uh, getting a divorce, having a child, uh, death of a parent, uh, a significant illness in the family. A lot of those really pivotal moments will change what has primacy for you at any given moment in time. And I highly encourage people to have just like businesses, just like C-suite leaders, at least quarterly revisit your strategic plan or your vision or your life plan, just to check in on what may have changed that will re that will adjust your primacy. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and quarterly is probably a good time to check in. And then I also, if you're in a relationship, I recommend that you do that with your partner uh, because it really does take two to make that work if you're sharing a household together. 
it's really hard for me to meet my financial goals if my partner out there has hidden credit cards, <laughs> as an example, right? So, uh, so if you are a family unit, I, I do recommend you bring the family into that strategic planning, that visioning, that life planning. But that, that's mainly what I meant by strategies. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I, um, what, what's interesting with, you know, I, I talked about my book a little bit earlier with you before yeah. we were recording. Mm-hmm. The, the title, you know, I have grand strategy in there. And what that yeah. comes from is I did uh, a lot of research and I really enjoy reading um, philosophy. Well, at some point, I came across the, the grand strategy program at Yale ah. and read some of the books that were written by the founders of that program. Okay. And then ended up finding a book written by a woman who uh, sat in on that course at Yale, uh, I guess audited it for two or three years and wrote a book on it, which actually is a lot more detailed than what was written by the founders. <laughs> Amazing, so, yeah. And it is a really good book. I believe I have it on, on my website. Um, Great. But the uh, the point of it is, is that the, the grand strategy program came about when these professors at Yale were like, you know, we're turning out these graduates that are moving into government, moving into mm-hmm. executive positions in large corporations that really shape our, our country, our um, national mindset, our national security. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're taking on these leadership roles without the required leadership skills. Oh, yeah. And the critical thinking required of those positions, yeah. And and the way that you gain that uh, most effectively is learning from history, yes. Uh, learning how world leaders from the past may have fumbled or succeeded, yeah. And so they they start off, you know, reading works like The Art of War or mm-hmm. uh, The Prince by Machiavelli or mm-hmm. you know, On War by Clausewitz, you know, these books on strategy. And, and then they game it uh, uh-huh. where students take on roles yeah. within the government or within an organization or something like that, where they're having to make hypothetical real world decisions yeah. on a much like a, a really large scale. Yeah, like a simulation. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I'm when I was looking at this, you know, you're the the lessons learned in ancient history may not translate exactly, but the critical thinking skills of how you view uh, this government's response to your action, or mm-hmm. like being able to like game it out three, four steps ahead. Yeah. Can actually open up your your vision to different paths. Well, if they do this, yeah. then I can do this. Yes. And, and so having that kind of mindset, I was like, wow, you know, you could really apply that to your life. Yeah. If, Scenario if you, planning. If you know 
mm-hmm. where you want to be yeah. when, when you're looking back on your life, like who you want to be viewed as. Yeah. Like the way. Love it. You know, and, and, and this was an exercise that, I, you know, in some uh, workshop I was in where the, the author of this book was the speaker and he mm-hmm. basically talks about, you know, taking a sheet of paper and writing your eulogy. Mm-hmm. as well one like if you were to die tomorrow realistically what would people say about yeah you? yeah and then then you write one of like 20 years from now what do you want people to say about you how, yeah. how do you want to be remembered yeah and so how, how do you get there yeah like, is the path that you're on really going to get you to that kind of legacy right and and I, I feel like if you can set the bar ahead of time and game out mm-hmm. the different scenarios, mm-hmm. because we never know what life is going to bring. There are so many things that we do not have control over. Yeah. So being able to like have a grand strategy for your life gives you choices and choices are power. Yeah. I love this, Dave. The the thing that you said about uh, we don't we can't map everything out and we're not in control of everything. That really is at the heart of this. You may work for a company today that gets acquired tomorrow and your entire division is eliminated. Right. That doesn't mean you're a bad person, doesn't mean you're not hireable, but it sure does mean you need some options. And so if your resume was up to date, your networks were warm because you had kept those relationships warm and connected, if, if your awareness of your personal brand and the relevance of your skills and strengths was at your fingertips, knowing tomorrow your department had been eliminated wouldn't feel so terrifying because you, you would just feel so much more confident and strong in your situation. And that's probably... I, I, I wish I'd said it the way you said it earlier. The real reason behind the, the power of options is because you're not going to be able to control everything and you don't really know which way the wind's going to always blow. So be ready for whatever way the wind is blowing yeah. and do what you can to be as ready as you can. Uh, you also made me think of another benefit of the theater when you uh, told that story and I thought of your daughter so you can go ask her if she had the same experience. The other thing that I think theater training gives people, you spend your entire time as an actor putting yourself in the shoes of the character. So you're constantly seeing the situation from that other person's point of view. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean you share their values. It doesn't mean you would have done it the same way, but you have to appreciate why they think as they do why they use the words they do, why they made the decisions that they did in order to appropriately portray the character, you have to understand them, not judge them. And that is that ability to see a situation earnestly from another person's point of view is another really, really powerful skill here uh, that I I think is also another thing to be, you know, to be learned and why I I encourage people to nurture it. It's also a skill that I, I help people when they're preparing, even for job interviews, put yourself in the shoes of the interviewer, right? What can you learn about the interviewer to see a situation from their point of view? It just helps with all of the, uh, the human connection, the empathy that we started talking about. Uh, how, How could, 
how could uh, Anthony Hopkins win an Oscar for portraying Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs? He made that character somewhat empathetic and charming. He could not have done that if he wasn't you know, really trying to see the situation from that twisted person's point of view. Right. If he portrayed the character judging them the whole time, then we we wouldn't have had any sort of an emotional connection to that character, good, bad, or indifferent. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent, but related. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, and I, I want to really touch on that empathy <laughs> part because in, a, in another interview, mm -hmm. it was the same thing was kind of brought up where empathy isn't putting yourself in somebody else's shoes so you can like understand it and like, you know, almost dismiss their behavior as like, well, that's understandable given these circumstances. Oh, no, yeah. it's, it's understanding <laughs> them, but you still have to, you, you know, while like, especially in a leadership position, it's important to be able to empathize with the people that you're leading mm. so that you can better communicate with them, not excuse them, uh, if they make poor decisions, you still have to hold them accountable, but you can understand mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and relate. And, yeah. And maybe that, uh, to me, that's an important component because I think a lot of times, in my experience, people that I've worked with in, in the fire service, that empathy component, I think, uh. gets confused with excusing behavior. Ah. Uh. And it's, yeah that's not it at all. Yeah. You can see, you can have empathy and still keep very high standards. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I love that too. Now, I, I <clears throat> want to thank you again for coming on here. I, I mm -hmm. feel like we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel is important to leave the listeners with? Yeah, thank you for asking, Dave. The one thing I would offer to everyone, because it is a free resource, just, just as you are giving this resource out to the universe, my podcast called The Me Suite, which is also the name of my coaching business, but the podcast is a free resource and it's interview-based. So every episode is a different interview with a different career-driven person who's trying to make work work for them right? At putting work to work for us. They come from all different industries, different geographies across the globe, different levels in an organization. I think my youngest interviewee is 23 and my oldest is 63. So they, they, there's a little bit in there for everyone to help meet you where you are. If you are either stuck or at a crossroads or wanting more from your career. Uh, so I would just encourage people to check it out. It, it's, uh, it's an investment in yourself that doesn't cost any money, just a little bit of time. And, uh, and again, it's called the Me Suite. And I, I would encourage any feedback or any recommendations on topics. If people wanna hear different interview topics, I welcome that feedback too. Yeah, and, and you can find your podcast and your book on your website, right? I sure can. And the podcast is on all podcast platforms. Also, it can be anywhere. The book is on Amazon. Uh, the only thing that's a little weird, and you'll have it in the in the show notes, the uh, it's called the me suite and suite is spelled like executive suite, S-U-I-T-E, uh, not sweet like candy. So it's uh, the me suite, a play on C-suite. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will have your website. Also, um, 
you know, I will have your book uh, linked on the recommended books page of my website. So, you know, if people mm-hmm. that aren't familiar with you that haven't seen this episode, they'll be able yeah. to go there. Um, but I, I, I just really, really enjoyed this conversation. I, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing with the audience mm-hmm. and uh, just, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to have this conversation. So thank you. I'm glad to have connected and thank you for what you're doing for the universe, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, back at you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.